Hello there, my friends. I am really excited to come to you tonight and give you some inspiration and hopefully some empowerment. And I have a special guest here with me tonight who's a good friend of mine. His name is Jimmy Labonte. And he could probably talk about 90 different subjects tonight that would all be really, really helpful for you. But we're going to try to hone it in here so this isn't a four-hour discussion. But um, I really want you to listen to this tonight because I'm just, I, I really feel like we are in a time where we need warriors more than ever before, at least in my 58 years of life, where we need, we need to have leaders, people who are willing to stand up and fight, who are willing to keep getting back up, who choose faith over fear, who choose courage over fear. And when I was putting my list together of the people that I wanted to talk to, Jimmy popped into my mind immediately because from the moment I met him, that is exactly what he's all about. However, even the most courageous of people fall down to the mat. Even the most courageous of people forget to be courageous. And so Jimmy and I talked about you know, something that we wanted to talk about tonight, and it's all about self-care. If you follow the nine actions, the nine actions to battle your beast, there are nine actions to live a courageous life, there are nine actions for anything. If you follow them, then you'll know that action number three is to put on your oxygen mask. And often when times are tough, that is one thing we forget to do. We're either running around caring for everybody else or we're not running around caring for anybody, including ourselves. And um, so anyway, I want to get Jimmy introduced here and then he, let him really talk to you more about this subject. Um, so I met Jimmy probably, gosh, I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that when we both lived in Miami. Now Jimmy's living in the Northeast and I'm living in the Southwest. <laughs> we, we couldn't have gone further, Jimmy. Um, and we met in, in a business that we were both um, working with. And I just, from the second I met Jimmy, he just had this glow about him, this spirit about him and this realness. You know, right away we could just talk about life and there was no pretense and we didn't try to pretend that we didn't have a past that we didn't have stories. And that's what I think that is going to inspire you. Uh, when you, Because sometimes I don't, when we're on the outside looking in, somebody's life looks a lot different than it probably really is. And so uh, Jimmy has been through a lot in his life and I don't know how much of it he's going to share with you, but he's had to overcome abuse at an early age and, and from an unexpected source. And that was a big one for him. He also, like I did, lost his daughter. He lost her to breast cancer, but nonetheless, we've both lost a daughter. And, and we had no idea when we met 15 years ago that that would be one of the connections that we had. But I'm pretty sure God knew when he connected the two of us together. So I'm going to just go right ahead and introduce my friend, Jimmy Labonte. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Well, Val, it's great to have a chance to do that and and come on and and talk with you tonight i appreciate you having the uh the confidence and the courage to allow me to be in front of uh, the great group of people that you know that you've been ministering to and uh to give them a little bit of my background um i'm 66 years old um at a, a ripe age of 14 years old i was sexually abused by a priest as a kid and uh kind of set my life into a tailspin of bad sex relationships, drugs, drug addiction, alcohol, high risk behaviors. I mean, you name it, it went for years and years and years uh, because I never, I was ashamed, I was embarrassed, um, didn't know what to do with it, never told anybody for 35 years. So I carried this backpack of BS and, and guilt and shame for that whole time and it made, you know, recovery was really difficult. Staying off of drugs was really difficult. Um, I was able to stay off of heroin, but only by using all kinds of other drugs to, you know, dampen the pain because I was in pain constantly. That that shame and that guilt and uh, and not telling anybody, um, it was a big burden to carry. So, Jimmy, and, uh, why didn't you feel that you could tell your parents? What What was the situation? Well, you know, when you're a 14-year-old boy and you find yourself in anything that's 
sexual with another man, um, you know, you start to question your own sexuality. You know, am I gay? Am I straight? What is going on? I must have done something wrong because he's, you know, he's a priest. He's next to God. It must have been my fault. I wasn't going to get involved in telling anybody what was happening because I didn't want the interrogation. Sure. You know, I, you know, and, and I didn't know if it was my fault or not. Well, I and mean, how did I, it make you feel about God? I hated him. Oh, that was it. You know, uh, he and I were out. We, you know, we were off. No more relationship. At least he never gave up on me, which I found years later. I realized that uh, when I was in another really rough situation in my life, um, God was there. And it's like, wow, you know, why is he still hanging around? I don't like him. You know, he did. He allowed a really bad thing to happen to me. And uh, it, it just, you know, and it's kind of too bad because I think if I'd had God, like I do now in my life, you know, I was born again. Oh, it's about, oh, it must be, geez, we're looking at like maybe 11 years now, 11 years ago, I was born again. And um, that was before I lost Jess. So, you know, having God back in my life as more difficult things continue to come because they do. You know, you think you get your act together. You think you got your shit together. You get a nice job. You find a great woman, you know, you know, everything just seems great. But you're carrying around guilt, shame, and you have no relationship with God. And nothing really goes well. It goes sort of well, better than the average person, but, you know, not as good as it could. And you don't, you don't find that out until you find God and you find that it can be better. Right. Um, and not that it's been a bed of roses since, you know, my conversion, so to speak. However, you know, stuff comes along and because I have him to lean on and I know that he never left me even back then in my early teen years, even though I left him, I can realize now when I look back through my life and look through the thread, I can see all the times that he was there picking me up, dusting me off, trying to get my attention, but I was having none of it, you know, and I just kept going into more dark places and more bad habits and more bad things um, because I just knew I knew no other way. You know, I just didn't know another way to do it. And uh, it's been a pretty interesting journey these the last 11 years, you know, since coming to, to know God and developing that relationship with him. And uh, it's, it's really what I think about the first thing when I wake up in the morning, and it's the last thing I think about when I go to bed. You know, I wake up in the morning and I see the ceiling in my bedroom and I go, wow, this is cool. I got another day. Another What's shot at this, huh? <laughs> Yeah, what's my assignment, God? You know, yeah. what, do you, what do you have for me to do today? You know, and then I go about my, my business, you know, whether it's reading the Bible and doing devotionals, doing some journaling, and then working out, but go about my day. And then at the end of the day, you know, I say, hey, we made it. No heroin, you know, no bad behaviors. Well, you know, maybe a couple of things here and there, you know, these words come out of my mouth here and there that, you know, shouldn't. I can't say I'm an angel. Uh, but I'm certainly not the rotten individual I was in my earlier years in life. Um, so I know God, you know, is he's, a, you know, he's a loving, he's a forgiving God. So, you know, I repent for some of the, the bad things that might have happened during the day, but they're never anything that's dramatic or drastic. And I'm able to say, OK, thank you for getting me through the day. No relapses, you know, no heroin in my life. This is good. I mean, that's it. You know, when there's no. That was the drug that just about, you know, took me out. Um, and I had been clean for that. But so, I mean, it's since I was 17, I've been clean from that. So that's a long time. But it's still just as close some days when trouble comes along that it's easy to go back and think about it as the way out, as that was always going to be my go-to before God came back into my life. And I came close to a couple relapses, but he was always there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the beauty of, of that relationship I have with him now. He's there. Yeah, I, I like how you said that too, Jimmy, how you said that you, you wake up every morning and that's been my practice too, is to say thank you for another day, another opportunity to make a difference. So 
it's like, really, that's what the day is all about. How can I, what can I set in motion or work on that, that can make a difference? Because really t- today's the only day we have. That's it. This is it. Like every day after today is a bonus, right? That's um, it. Absolutely. <laughs> so I love that you, at the end of the day, you, know, you say, hey, God, we made it. Okay. We made it through this day. Um, but, but I know when you say that, because I know you, you're not saying like, phew, we made it through the day. It's more like a victory of, wow, this is another day that, that I did the right thing, another day that I'm making a difference. And I don't think people think about that enough. We talk about living in the moment, living in the present, but I don't think enough people really think about the gift that is one single day. Yeah, it's a joyous occasion. You know, you get another day. You get to do something with it. You know, you can squander it. I mean, when you think about what's going on in the world right now with this whole COVID-19 business, and you can either get up in the morning and you can cower behind, you know, the door of your, your house and not dare to go out. Or you can say, I'm going to armor up and I got to go to the grocery store. No big deal. You know, God's with me, you know, um, or, you know, I've got no, you know, a lot of people are unemployed, you know, so you can crab and you can, as my dad used to say, you can piss and moan about it or you can do something about it. Right. You know, And when you, when you crab and, and you know, your day sucks. You know? Yeah, and you know what I really am concerned about, Jimmy, is is the psyche. The psyche of what's going on right now is right like people weren't already living in enough fear as it was. And now there's just this massive prevailing, you know, fear that fear of the future, fear of the unknown. We don't know what's gonna happen. Well, you know what? You don't know what's gonna happen every day anyway. But because we're all in this, the whole global pandemic of the unknown and the insecurity of it all, I really feel as if the fallout from this, when the dust settles emotionally, is big. I mean, mean, unless people decide, like you said, unless people decide that, what am I going to choose? Am I going to choose fear or courage? Yeah. And I mean, you know that I work in the the mental health field, but maybe some of your tribe doesn't know that, you know, so I'm a, I'm a crisis counselor in a psychiatric ward. And, uh, you know, with this whole thing going on, we know that our business is going to quadruple when the dust settles. Right now, people are hiding in drugs, alcohol, uh, in homelessness, you know, behind closed doors because they're sheltered in place. But when they say they can come out, they're going to come out, but they're going to freak out because they don't have any coping skills to deal with it. They don't they don't know how to choose, you know, success versus, you know, falling back. Right. And any skills that they did have, because you know how easy it is. Even I'm in the business of having a good attitude. I'm in the business of choosing courage and I still have to fight it. I still have to battle that. I think we all do. And um I think that, so what I'm saying is that whatever skills you're talking about that people have in the first place, a lot of it is almost disintegrated during a situation like this, if they're choosing panic and fear and anxiety for sure. You know, I mean, I always say that survivors recover, victims don't. So when this is over, if people take a victim stance and say, you know, this really stinks, you know. I lost my job. The government shut the the city down, the the state down, the country down, and they take that victim stance. They're going to have a rough time moving forward. But if they wake up every day and they choose to be a survivor and say, hey, you know, my life hasn't been easy before this pandemic and somehow I made it. So I must have more strength and more courage and more skills than I know I have because otherwise I wouldn't have made it this far. Yeah. Everybody stuff in their life yeah everybody so they- does but i'm you know i'm glad you brought up the victim mindset too and it's funny i just got through working on some posts on my website and it's almost like you read my mind on some of these things but um the victim mentality i just literally just posted something that's going to come out probably next week on this i talk about that a lot though um what I, becoming a victim is not your fault but choosing but remaining one is a choice And when I think about your story and I think about how certainly you were a victim of abuse, Uh, you know, it's almost as bad as being abused by your parent because it's that person in authority. And as you said, that person who's supposed to be so close to God, which literally destroyed your faith for a long time. Um, 
however, look, when you were living in victim mode, and I'm not blaming you because who would have known at your age how to process this, but when you were choosing that victimhood over all those decades, look at how your life went. And so when you talk about finding God, because I know you, I know that part of that whole process, and I think it happened to, you know, before 11 years ago, because I've known you longer than that, and I haven't known you as a victim. At some point, you chose to not allow that to be a victim and to allow that to keep you stuck in victimhood and to process that. And one of the cool things is that God stuck Trisha in your life, knowing that this whole thing was going to, you know, happen the way it was. And that was one of the people that he stuck in your life to help you through it. But just look how different your life is. I'm not saying, you know, some of the events that occurred weren't very tragic, but how different you became when you decided to stop living in that powerless place, because that's where it, what it is, of victimhood. Yeah, I mean, I remember the day I decided that I wasn't going to shoot heroin anymore. And uh, that's a long time ago. But I can remember waking up and saying, this is a dead end. You know, it cures the pain every day. I don't feel anything, but it's a dead end. And I lost a good friend to an overdose. And uh, I knew that wasn't going to be me. And that's when the journey kind of began of saying, okay, I'm going to rise above my circumstances. And it's a long journey getting out of the, the pit that we can dig for ourselves and getting back on your feet. And uh, making that decision also was empowering. When all of a sudden I was going to school still and I wasn't using, well, I wasn't using heroin anyway yeah. to go to school. Yeah. And I was getting through. I mean, I was using other stuff. I mean, I didn't really find myself in a, uh, a clear mindset for, well, 20 plus years. I was always kind of altered on something, uh, but less and less all the time because I kept realizing that there was more to life than living in the past, that I had to create a future for myself. And what I always wanted was I wanted a child, you know. I wanted a wife. I wanted a, a house. You know, all the things that you know, the, what do they call it? The, the American dream. Right. You know, um, flunked out of college because I thought college was going to be as easy as high school. It wasn't. In high school, I never took a book home and I got A's and B's. Went to college. I never went to class. I flunked out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> surprise, surprise, you know. <laughs> you know, um, another big lesson. You know, success comes with work. It doesn't get handed to us. And um, being a survivor comes with work. You've got to make the decision that I'm not going to let what's happened to me hold me down. I can't always say that I can beat it because some of the the beast, as you call it, that we that we face, I mean, he's always around. I know. You can't get rid of him. I mean, it, as hard as I've tried in my life, and I've had some really, really wonderful, great, terrific years in my life, but every once in a while, I realize he's still hanging around. He hasn't left, and he's kind of just waiting for me to slip up to where he can say, okay, you know, now you know what it's all about. You know, why don't you come on back down here where the rest of us live? And I have no you know, I want no part of that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I always think that the beast has, he's not that creative. There are only so many tricks up his sleeve, but they're so well-timed and they're so perfect for each person. It's so easy for us to fall back into those patterns um, of behaviors, of thoughts. I mean, the people who work the hardest at it still struggle with this. So if you're not working on your self-development, if you're not working on your spiritual life, if you're not working on all of these things all the time, maintaining a good attitude, think about what it takes, Jimmy, when you have, and you're a person who I consider having a really great positive attitude, but how long does it take if you flip on the news, talk to your neighbor, read the wrong post, or even listen to your own thoughts for that to all dissipate, right? Sure. You know, I mean, and that's why, you know, getting up in the morning 
asking God for what my assignment is, being grateful that I've got another day, and then, you know, putting on the full armor of God because I know I'm going out. I'm safe in my house. In my house, I know there's no beast in here. I have got him definitely locked out. But when I walk out the door, he's around every corner. Yeah, he's on the porch. You know, so that's important to for me to to put on the, the full armor of God. And a classic example of, you know, when you really have to be careful is I was working with a client one day and uh, I had to go into her apartment. I was working on uh, mental health out in the community and I get into her apartment and immediately I feel this like dark, dank, ugly feeling. And I go, there's spirits in here. And then I look around, there's Ouija boards, there's all kinds of funky stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that just gave me the heebie-jeebies, you know, and I made an excuse to leave. And I got out of that place real fast, and I realized I have to pray up even before I go in this woman's house because this woman's house is a place where I could fall easily. You know, you have to, you know, and I think by being a spiritual person, you start to learn and you start to be able to discern and sense when you're in a position or in a place where it's not safe to be. Yeah. And you've got to be, you know, and running is not, you know, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes if somebody's coming after you, you know, by all means run. (laughs) Yeah, you just have to outrun them. That's it. You know, I had a a hip replacement a couple years ago from a ski accident. and My my doctor said, no more jogging, no more running. He said, unless somebody's chasing you. (laughs) That's great. And and then run like heck. (laughs) Yeah. Don't worry about it, you know. and, and so, you know, I think that's an important piece for me is getting up and armoring up. And like you said, the self-care piece, putting on your own oxygen mask first. You know, I give all day long to my clients. They're all in crisis. I have to talk them down basically off the ledge, give them some skills, get them set up with aftercare and give them a reason, you know, help them find a reason to live. It takes an emo- an em- ton of energy from me, an enormous amount of energy every day. Well, Jimmy, um, you have to be, you know, wired a certain way because um, obviously I have a lot of people that I interact with who are moms of addicts and I have to be very, very, very cautious and careful. And I mean this with all the love and care and compassion and everything in my heart. It's kind of like I, I talk about it like it's like the cancer doctor. And I've, I've never been a cancer doctor. I've never been any kind of doctor. But the cancer doctor must have to just go home and separate, somehow separate and say, I can't take all this in or I'm not going to be a doctor of anything. I, yeah, they have to be able to, to separate what's happening to people. And that's hard when you're a person who is empathetic and feels and cares so much. And so I have to be really careful to, to care, but not to get sucked into anybody's details of their story and the drama, or I would be worth nothing to anybody. And but I think about somebody like you and what you do all day long. And I just don't even know if I'd be wired to do that, even though I'm a caring person. So really, how do you, and I think this is really important too, because we often think of women as the ones who typically are the caregivers. That's not always, but that is, you know, and, and a lot of people who interact with me, probably 99% are women. So they can really relate to this, right? It's that, okay, well, somebody's in trouble. My addict's in trouble. So now I don't care about me anymore. I only care about fixing them, helping them. You're, you're the kind of person who's out on your time off, you know, fee- giving shoes to homeless people or, or whatever else you're doing. This is after your however many hours of caring for people in mental health uh, in a home, right? Where you have people that are residing there. Is that right? Yeah, yeah they reside there. Okay. So how, so I really am interested to know how you are able to do the cancer doctor thing, as I said, and, and separate and, and, and believe with all your heart that taking care of yourself is not selfish. Well, yeah, it's not. I mean, you know, we call it rationally detaching from the situation. You know, I have to realize with everybody that I help, whether it's a homeless person whether it's somebody who just tried to commit suicide and didn't complete it, which is great. You know, I have to realize that I didn't cause the problem. 
You know, there's precipitating factors in all of our lives. There's reasons why somebody uses the drugs. I used my precipitating factor was the pain from the abuse that I wanted to cover. Other people might have homelessness. They might have um, gone through a divorce. They might have lost a child. Um, they might have lost a job. They may have, you know, these are precipitating factors that I can't control as their counselor. Right. I, can't, I can't change what has happened in their life. And I have to show them that, you know, it's up to them to take charge. It's up to them to go from a victim to a survivor. And so by keeping that in my mind and not and detaching and not letting those precipitating factors be my drive. My drive isn't to make you not be homeless. I'd love to help you find a place to live, but there's only so many places in the world. Right. I'd like to help heal your marriage. I can't. I'd like to bring your child back. I can't. So you can't control all these things? Not anymore, you know. <laughs> no. I used to think I, I used to think I could. Well, and it, okay, and so this is the interesting thing too, especially being the mom of an addict, and um, you can relate to this with just having cancer. We think it's our job to fix this stuff. I don't care how old they become; they're our children, and there's some kind of crazy, you know, guilt and you know, why can't I do something about it? I should be able to do something about it. I'm a parent or I'm somebody who loves somebody, whatever the relationship is. And really getting to coming to that realization that we don't have control over other people. It's a huge step because we, we want more than anything to control our lives. But when we sit back, Jimmy, most of the things that happen that transpire around us, we have little to zero control over. Absolutely. And but if you can realize, or at least, and you have to do it on a daily basis, realize that you don't have control of the other people, then you, it, you don't have to waste energy on that. Your energy can be used to control yourself. Right. You know, this is where my control is. This is my locus of control is in me. So if I'm not trying to control you, I can control me. And that's where you detach from what's happening. And I can't control you, so I've got to teach you through my own example. Yes. And it's you know, and there's a fine line between sharing my story with people, and and not sharing it. You know, with especially with people that I work with in mental health, because if somebody says, "Geez, you know, you were an addict all the way to 17, and look at you now, you're doing great. You know, maybe I can use a few more years." Well, you know, I don't want them to think they can use another day. Okay, but but Jimmy, you bring up a really good point, though, as I'm thinking about that. What a good point. However, that's controlled too, right? So now we're going, okay, well, I better not tell them that because then they'll use it as an excuse. I mean, really what we have to do is just put the story out there and it's their responsibility to do whatever they want with it, right? So I think that um, we just have to do our best to, because you bring up a really you brought up the best example of all, Jimmy. We have to set a shining example. And so when you say, okay, now I can focus on me, people get confused. They think, oh, well, that's selfish. You're self, you're going to be self and evolved. No, no, no. Becoming the best version of you is so that you can serve others. Yeah. Right? If I'm not healthy, I can't, I can't do it. You know, when I, when I do trainings with, with staff at, at work, I train a lot of people, um, every year and one thing I, I use an analogy like when you go to work in the morning um, put all your stuff to work in a backpack and when you get to work open your backpack you know take your backpack put it on take all the stuff from your home backpack and throw it in the trunk so you leave your home in your trunk of your car and you take work into work with you when you leave work you open the trunk you take work off your back you throw that in the trunk, you take home back out of the trunk. Because when you go home, I can't, I can't bring my work home to Trish. I right. mean, you know, we kind of have a, an unspoken rule. You got 30 minutes to crab about your day. You know, yeah. you had a bad day or something went wrong, you know, and you want to download it. You got 30 minutes and then the other person has 30 minutes and then life begins. Yeah. You can't live our whole evening still in work mode. Yeah, that's a really good point because I say attitude is like gravity. 
it, it, I mean, it's, it's much harder to pull someone up into positivity than it is to have someone suck you down into negativity. I mean, it doesn't take much before the mob mentality sets in and everybody's one down in each other, as I call it, right? Yeah. Oh, wait till you hear what happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, you think your day was bad? Wait till you hear this. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention before we um, run out of time here is, you know, when you talked about how much better your life is because you got close to God, you started having this spiritual life and, you know, you forgave him for allowing the free will of another person to do that to you because we have to all recognize I think that can be hard for people who are trying to, you know, hang out with God and then he's letting all this bad stuff happen. But there is an element of free will in this world. And if it wasn't, we'd all be robots and I guess everything would be great. But since there's free will, there are going to be bad things that happen. That's just kind of, you know, there's evil in the world. There's all sorts of other things at play than God. So what is interesting is it would seem fair, Jimmy, if we walked closer to God, if we were better people, if we did what we thought he wanted us to do, if we were trying to walk out our purpose, if we were trying to be better on a daily basis, cause and effect, shouldn't life get better too? So, and it, right? I mean, and it, and it, but it, does, it, does, it, does, it does in certain ways. But the point that I want to make is when the, you know what hit the fan for me when Jamie was 15 and, you know, I just married Rich recently and life was, you know, getting better. I was a good single mother. I mean, I just really felt like I was a good person. I'm honest. I have integrity. I'm trying to do the right thing. And all around me, by the way, are family members and people who are lovely, wonderful people, but aren't maybe even trying to do all that stuff. And they're not having to deal with the stuff I'm dealing with. You know, their kids are doing fine. You know, and mine's falling apart and she's in addiction and all this stuff's happening. She gets shot when she's 18 and all this stuff's happening. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. So at my lowest point, I just said, you know, I told Rich, I don't want to be here anymore. And I thought, whoa, that scared me. That was my low point. It scared me. I thought, what kind of a role model am I going to be for my son and, and all that? So that's what got me up off of the mat. So now you would think, now I'm up off the mat. I don't live in victimhood. And life kept getting worse around me. I'm, this is the point. You know what I'm talking about. It got worse around me. I had, you know, family members die. I had, uh, you know, financial betrayal of, of it, big, big, big stuff. And then my daughter, of course, is murdered in 2016. And every morning I'm praying for a miracle. I know you can relate to this, not that Jess was in a completely different lifestyle than Jamie, but I'm praying every morning for a miracle and I'm believing it. And when I hear that she's been murdered, I literally go into the, it reminded me of you saying, we're done, God. I had a moment where I was just like, are you serious, dude? I mean, you blew it. You screwed up and I can tell you all the reasons why you screwed up because this is what we could have done and this is what she could have done and this is how it all could have played out. So, but I think that's okay. It's okay that we have those moments. So for those people listening that think, well, geez, you know, how, how is walking closer to God any help? Let me tell you something. Had I not done the work, had I not put on my spiritual armor, had I not been living all of those nine actions, the same thing probably would have happened. I mean, Jamie's death was still out there in the future. But if I hadn't done the work, the self-care that you're talking about, Jimmy, if I hadn't got rid of my shame and my guilt and put on my spiritual armor and, and learned all of these things and got the same knock on the door, well, I can tell you right now, you and I would not be having this conference right now because yeah, I'd, be, like, I'd be in the closet yeah. rolled up in a ball, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you had that same experience where, you know, you really elevated your life in so many ways to a different level and you you kind of alluded to it earlier and then a whack right upside the head with a two by four and even recently you know i i call it a relapse you know and it's falling back on the mat i participate in a monthly group of parents who have lost children we get together and we support each other it's not therapy it's not counseling it's just hanging out and basically crying some days if that's what you need to do but and you get to know each other and everybody is in the same boat for real. And uh, all of a sudden there's this woman that 
I know in the group who lost her son two years ago to an accidental overdose. And all of a sudden, three weeks ago, her youngest daughter completes a suicide. Oh. And now she's lost another kid. Wow, that's huge. And I find out about it, and I start to kind of spin in my mind. And, I mean, I got pretty low. Um, I, I don't know what was going on for me. I just know that my, my empathy, I knew what she was going through, but this is a second kid. You know, yeah. holy smokes, you know, and I realized I wasn't doing well. I wasn't doing really well. I just, I'm praying, but nothing's really coming together. So I get out onto Facebook to some of my Christian friends. And I said, look, I'm not doing well. I need prayer. I know I can get through this, but I need extra. I need extra help. And it, I mean, it, it was a miracle within 24 hours. I mean, the pain for Rachel is still there. I, I'm still in contact with her every couple of days trying to help counsel her through what she's going through. But I'm back up. I got yeah. back up really quick. You know, I and felt kind of hard. she needs you standing, Jimmy. She needs that. That's Well, that's why I reached out to God because I couldn't – I knew I wasn't getting back up on my own because, I, I mean, I was just feeling so low. I mean, how could that happen to anybody? You know, yeah. Jess was my only child. I have stepchildren, and I know I'd feel just as as miserable if something happened to one of them, and maybe even worse, who knows? But I have no idea what that would be like. But also, this woman's going through it, and uh, I knew I couldn't stay down. I needed to take care of myself. Yeah. You know, so I, need, I needed God. I needed prayer from my friends. I needed to, you know, get back into my Bible even deeper and realize that, again, I can't control. Yeah, and I this is probably what you me. hated about it, Jimmy, because I see these kind of stories, unfortunately, all the time. You know, someone has four kids in addiction, you know, a couple kids that have died. And you met Monette. You remember Monette that came, all four of her kids in addiction, two in prison, one had died, one on the streets. It, it, it's, it, it's When you hear these stories and you know the people especially, it can be emotionally overwhelming. And also maybe sometimes, I'm going to admit it because it's not like God doesn't know what I'm thinking. I think, really, God, how can this be? It like something doesn't add up, right? It's we have our hard time getting our head around this and our heart around it, and how you know. I think, like you said, you think about you lost a daughter. I lost a daughter. How do you lose multiple children? How do you, you know? Um, I know that they can stand and they can survive and they can get through it. And and maybe there's a part of you too, Jimmy, that thinks, "Wow, I can't relate to her because I don't know how it feels." Now, how do I help her? Well, you know, you, you've got to teach people to to reframe that question. You know, why is a dangerous question to ask God? Yes. You know? Yes. But, you know, the, the question that you, we need to ask him is, okay, what do you want me to do with this? Yes, that is great. People, is are you listening? Did you hear that? That is so powerful. You know, what am I supposed to do with this? Because... Everything that happens, we all know the, the cliches. It all happens for a reason. And, you know, why does all the crap happen to me? Well, crap happens to everybody. Yeah. You know, um, but what are we supposed to do with it? Again, it's becoming a survivor versus a victim. You lose two kids. What are you going to do with that? You know? Right. Are you going to are you going to curl up in a ball and start drinking every day, you know, doing drugs and become just like one of your kids? Or are you going to become something different? You know, God's got a plan. Yeah. You know, his plan is not our plan. And sometimes, you know, we, you know, we want him to put the fire out. You know, we want him to come in with the big hose. You know, when you think of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they get thrown into the furnace by the, uh, the head of the, the country, you know. And God could have just put the fire out for those guys. What's he do? He sends Jesus in there to protect them and walk them out unscathed. So God's always with me. You know, Jesus is always here. So it's not like I can expect God to fix everything. I want, I wish he had fixed Jess. Yeah. I mean, but, I don't like his plan. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't, so I don't really like some of his plans that much. Well, you know, but they're not my plans, but, but I'm just being honest and real here. 
I didn't like, I had a different plan I thought would have been better. But we also don't know the big picture. Like we don't have the whole, our finger on all the pieces of the puzzle in the world, right? We have well, such know, a myopic view of the world. But you have to take, you have to take time out and look to see what maybe the big picture is. You know, it's kind of like a quilt. The top of the quilt is a really nice picture. But if you pick the quilt up, there's all these threads going every which way underneath. Well, that's where we live. We live underneath the quilt and it all looks like a big craziness. You know, yeah. God sees from the top. He right. sees the picture. We have to step outside. We have to get close to him and we have to start looking to see what is he trying to do with what's happening? You know, when I think about Jess and losing her, yeah, I'd love to have her sitting right here now and, and, and laughing with her and talking to you with her. But I look and I watch and I paid attention and there's been so many amazing things that have happened and would never have happened had she not died. Yeah, right. And where it's, she is right now, she would say it's a, the, the sacrifice was nothing. It wasn't even a sacrifice. You know, look where I am. But it is, I mean, it, it is, I think it's hard for people to understand what we're talking about because we're not saying that it doesn't hurt just as much. The way I deal with it, Jimmy, you probably do something similar is that I have a hole in my heart. I, I recognize, I used to think that you just, you know, you got over people who died. I've had people, plenty of people in my life close to me who have died. And, and I still feel sad sometimes. Losing Jamie was a whole different ball game for me anyway. And I'm not trying to compare it to anybody else's type of loss. I'm just saying for me, there's a permanent hole in my heart. And I've come to realize coming on four years now that it's not going anywhere. It's not shrinking. It's not, there's not, it's there. It is permanently, you know, the Grand Canyon. And so that would make people think, well, then, gosh, you must be sad every minute. I'm actually not sad most of the time. You know, 99% of the time I'm not sad, but it's because I honor that hole. I don't try to ignore it. I don't try to pretend it's not there. I don't try to get over Jamie because I don't want to get over her. Why would I want to get over her? She was awesome, right? Um, I don't want to get over. So when the hole in my heart needs attention, you know, I've got Jamie under a tree out here. I just, okay, I feel it coming, right? And I just go and, and I allow myself to ball my brains out. And, and I think that's okay. And sometimes I play really sad songs and torture myself for a few minutes. But I think that the hole in my heart deserves that. And that's how I personally keep from crawling into the hole and just, you know, being done. Appearing. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, in, in in therapy, when I when I counsel people, you know, there's this term called radical accept, acceptance, to radically accept what has happened. Yes. And it's easy to teach. It's harder to do. Sure. You know, and last year was, you know, I'm going on my seventh year of, of losing Jess. Wow, I can't believe that. Seven years in September. And uh, last year, all of a sudden, I had this radical moment that I accepted the fact that Every day it's going to hurt. Every day I'm going to miss her. I can't fix Jimmy. I, it's just impossible because this is bigger than life. All I can do is say, what am I going to do with it? Yes. You know? And, and that is so, my, but Jimmy, said, how many people go through, you said it earlier, you said it three times probably, everybody goes through difficulties. Everybody, nobody, it may look as if somebody is not going through any difficulties because we're on the outside looking in and. They haven't cleaned their windows in a while. I mean, it looks different, but everybody goes through stuff. But how many people don't choose to do something with it? So here's the thing. God didn't kill Jamie. He didn't pull the trigger. Some guy made a decision to pull the trigger. He could have jammed the gun. He could have caused a flat tire that day so the guy wouldn't be there. He could have caused just to you know, be healed. There's all sorts of things he could have done. He didn't cause it. But I do know some one thing for absolute sure. He doesn't waste anything. So every situation we find ourselves in, those things we don't agree with God on, like I told you earlier, he doesn't waste them. So it's our job, like you said, to figure out what am I supposed to be doing with this? Yes, here's the thing, Jimmy. I wish that I could have written a cookbook. I joke about this all the time. And then, you know what, we'd have... We'd have conferences like this and people would be like, I love that recipe on page 79 and we could talk about that. But that, that's not the cards that I was dealt, right? Right. Right. And, and, that's okay, and that's okay. You know, following God's plan is 
I mean, it's not always rosy, but it's the easiest road. It's, you know, those 35 years that I never told anybody about my abuse was a really, really rough path. And yeah, these last years, it's had some toughness in it, losing Jess. I mean, yeah, that's not a, that's not a walk in the park kind of thing. However, you know, um, it's been, it's been joyful at times. It's been and, but people find that I, I know people don't understand that that haven't made it to where you are. I know people find that very difficult to understand that there could be in the same heart moments of absolute joy and moments of absolute uh, grief like none that I've ever experienced in the same yeah. heart and sometimes in the same day. Oh yeah, sometimes in the same hour. In the same hour, yeah. You know, yeah. you have you know. You hear that song and you sink to the the pit of your stomach and then all of a sudden you say, well, but you know what? Something else comes along and you say, that's, that was really cool. Yeah. You know, or somebody, you know, asks you a question and you say, well, let me tell you a story about my kid. And it gives yeah. you a whole, it gives you a chance because, I mean, I have so many good stories like you do about, about my daughter, you know. I just, you know, people have to be careful if they ask me about her. You know, have you got a couple hours? Because <laughs> I, I can go on and on and on. Well, I mean, I should, see with I, me, I should start I have a, a lot on, of bad on anonymous. You know, I should start a 12-step program on and on anonymous because I can go on and on and on. <laughs> but that's okay. You know, and I think what you're, that's a good point, though, is that, that people sometimes are afraid to talk about the dead kid. Like Sean says, you know, they don't want to talk about my dead sister. He goes, but I do. But they are afraid that it will make you sad. Well, so what if it makes you a little sad? The worst thing is that they don't talk about her because it's like she never existed. So I have, you know, 15 of Jamie's 30 years were not pleasant. So obviously we have a lot of very unpleasant memories that you, you know, you don't have it. You do, of course, the hospital and all that kind of stuff. But, but I just choose my memories. I don't, it's not like I'm, you know, I'm not living in a, you know, with my head in the sand as if she was an angel, but, um, but I choose what to remember because underneath the weight of her beast, I knew exactly who she was. I used to tell her all the time, I see you, you know, I see you underneath all that. So we choose. And so I think that that has been something that, um, Sean and I talk about quite a bit is that we don't purposely go, Hey, let me tell you about my child who died. But, but all the time something, Jamie was hilarious. She was, I mean, you can imagine she was my kid. She was fun and funny and, and, and she was quicker than I am. She was really cool. Had a beautiful singing voice. There's just so many things about her. So there are always times where somebody will say something. I think, oh my gosh, Jamie would love to hear that. Oh, that's right. I can't tell her, but you know what I might say, oh my gosh, you know what Jamie would have said about that? Letting people know that it's okay to talk about because people are afraid to talk about the person who died, right? And we have to keep them alive by making it okay to talk about it. And that shows that you're a survivor, not a victim. Yeah. Because you're okay to talk about it. And you talk about the good stuff. Yeah. You know, somebody wanted to hear about the bad stuff. You've got all that in the Rolodex. It comes out real easy. Yeah. But it's not what you're going to, it's not the first thing that's going to come out of your, your mouth. It's always going to be the good stuff. Yeah, I mean, unless I need to use it to identify, just like with you, if you needed to identify with somebody, I understand what it's like to be in the hospital for all those months and years and all this, you can identify with it. I would tell that part of the story for a purpose, but yeah, I don't, I don't choose to, I mean, listen, Jimmy, it'd be very easy every single day to say, it's not fair. It's not fair that my kid died. It's not fair, right? Well, you know what? Life isn't fair. Right. Um, but it's what we choose to do with it. So I think that we're probably going to, um, end this right now, but I just wanted you to close this out. And, and by the way, what I'm probably going to be doing with this, um, I'll get with you, but I want to do a, um, a Facebook watch party so that we could both watch this along with other people so that we can then interact. It's very difficult when you do lives to interact with people. Yep. So I think it'll be really fun to do that. I hope if um, anybody's watching this beforehand, before we do the watch party, you'll join us. But Jimmy, if you could just close this out with, you know, I know we've talked about a lot of different things, but can you just think of one kind of cool, helpful tip 
that people could take with them, not that they probably haven't already taken about 10 of them, but um, something to close it out with? Well, I think to close it out, um, I really think people need to honor themselves and take care of themselves. I mean, find your joy in something and then work at it. You know, I like to go up in the mountains and hike. I go hiking as often as I can. I recharge my batteries out in nature. Yes. Somebody might do it knitting, cooking, kitchen dancing, call it what it is, you know, but find your joy, find something that gives you joy and do it often. Don't, don't be selfish with yourself. Get that thing that gives you joy and do it as much as you can because you deserve it. And that's going to be hard for some people to hear. So say it again. You deserve joy. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to take care of yourself. And there were things that you used to like to do before whatever took over in your life and is now driving the bus. Throw that sucker off the bus, grab the steering wheel, and if it's throwing darts or shooting pool, I don't care what it is. Whatever gives you joy, go back to it and start doing it and do it as often as you can because you'll come away feeling good. And yeah. that'll give you strength when you get whacked upside the head again because it's going to come. Absolutely. Don't think, you know, I mean, I didn't expect Rachel to call me and say, you know, my daughter committed suicide, you know, I, but I was ready. I fell down, but I got up pretty quick because I'm healthy. Yeah, good point. I take care of myself. Okay, Otherwise, so Jimmy, I might have dumped with her. I Hiking is my thing. Being outdoors is where I feel closest to God. It's my church. I love being outside. So I was thinking that if you and Trish would come to town, we could go hiking, and then we could do the kitchen dancing. Ooh, I as like it. As long as you promise that we don't have to do the knitting. No knitting. <laughs> oh, no knitting. That would not be I pretty. I don't knit. <laughs> Maybe we should just for fun. We'll do the knitting, too. <laughs> we could. We could. We could. Well, well, it's been a pleasure getting together with you. Yeah, I'd love to see you again. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for taking your time. I know it's later on the East Coast tonight, and I just really appreciate you taking your time because I know that you don't already give all day long, every single day. Uh, but seriously, that you, you know, I know that that's all you did today, probably came home and had dinner, and then here you are giving some more. But um, I hope you know how much you're loved and appreciated. And everybody who meets you, everybody I've introduced you to, when you came and spoke at Still Standing Live, people still talk about you. So I just want you to make sure that you never forget that your story matters. Well, I won't. And I appreciate the the chance to hang out with you tonight. Okay. Say hi to Trish and I'll see you soon. I love you. All right. Love to Rich. Bye-bye.